This is a passage from Hal Weitzman's book, What's the Matter with Delaware? We host Hal Weitzman on the podcast along with Professor Dale Norwood on episode 179. This is the first few paragraphs of chapter 8 called The Process, How the Corporate Code is Made. America's corporate code is not written in Washington, D.C. by either the federal government or Congress. It is not crafted by a group of elected representatives or experts appointed by them. The debates surrounding it are not open to the public or the media. Instead, it is written every year by a group of 27 unelected lawyers who meet in private over several months in Wilmington, Delaware, before sending their recommendations to the Delaware legislature for changes to the code. More often than not, there is next to no debate and the state legislators, who sit an hour downstate in Dover, the capital, effectively rubber-stamp the proposals, which then go to the governor for signing. In its marketing materials, the state of Delaware touts as one of its critical advantages, quote, a legislature willing to work with Delaware's corporate bar. That's quite an understatement. What actually happens is that the legislature does whatever the 27 lawyers tell it to do, In this way, when it comes to corporate law, Delaware has effectively eliminated political uncertainty. The group of 27 is officially known as the Delaware State Bar Association Section of Corporation Law, but it is more usually referred to as the Corporation Law Council. It is made up of 27 members selected from among the senior ranks of the state's 14 top law firms, plus Lawrence Hammermesh, a law professor at Widener University in Wilmington. The chief deputy of the Secretary of State for Delaware is also a part of the committee, but only as a non-voting ex officio member. The Corporation Law Council has been writing Delaware's and therefore America's corporate law for at least the past 50 years. Its recommendations almost always become law. It is almost unheard of for the state legislature to challenge it. The council's deliberations are private. Its website features an annual memo to the executive committee of the Delaware State Bar Association. The memo does not offer much by way of transparency, focusing on the mechanics of how the council came up with its recommendations rather than the theme of the proposed legislative changes or arguments, debates, or dissents put forward as part of the council's internal discussions. This lack of transparency is important since the laws that this group writes outline the responsibilities that business leaders owe the shareholders of the companies they run, and because so much corporate litigation takes place in Delaware, the corporate law of the state is de facto the law of the land. What is written in Delaware is applied across the United States and beyond. As the New York Times observed about Delaware in 1988, quote, the state has become to business law the precedent center that Iowa and New Hampshire are to the presidential primaries. Comrades and friends, hello. This is your Highlands Bunker podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. We're going to be talking about the Delaware Way Beast tonight, and we have a very, very special episode for you. Um, as always, Super Producer Carl is here. Our senior legal correspondent, Bill Martin, is here. William? I did everything right, and they incorporated me. <laughs> I did everything right. It was perfect. Everything I did was perfect. Good evening. And um, back live, by popular demand, inside 
Highlands Bunker tonight. Chancery Daily, Chance the Lawyer. Thank you so much for coming in. It's so good to be here. I can't believe you're, you're here. You, you, you jetted in. You jetted in literally on a private jet. Behind enemy lines. Yeah, you're literally. You're di- we, we <laughs> you got said you. it before, but it was it wasn't for real, real. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, our, our our sort of zones of interests are, are overlapping once again. Um, but before we get to that, what we didn't do when we had our conversations before was sort of just give a, a quick background to what. Chancery Daily does both uh, on Substack and and more scholarly work and and sort of it's it's a niche so I think people well, kind of want to know um, what you guys are up to. Yeah, um, so Chancery Daily has been around for the last decade. Um, my dear friend Kyle Wagner Compton uh, started the publication in 2010. Um, it's a trade publication that basically served lawyers for a long time. Um, for the bulk of its life, served um, these shadowy corporate litigators in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, no, they're 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 actually mostly really good people. But um, we served lawyers, and we write a daily um, debrief of all of the cases that come out of the Court of Chancery, and. Um, it wasn't until last year that when the Twitter versus Musk matter happened, you know, we've been looking for a way to bring corporate law to the people. And it was hard to find the right way to do that because, frankly, it's really hard to get people interested in something as um, dry and dusty as corporate law. But the Twitter versus Musk case provided the perfect entree, and we just jumped in with uh, both feet. So... When that happened, we booted up a Twitter account and it got a ton of traction and we just like hit the ground running and it everything just worked like perfectly. And it was 10 years. It was like overnight success with 10 years of work in the background and (laughs) busting your ass and like doing things that no one knew about. And so we had all of this work that we had done for the last decade following every single thing that was going on in the courts, um, you know, uh, debriefing everything that ever happened in the court of chancery. Um, and then when the Twitter versus Musk case happened, we were able to be the authority on social media for the people and also to start translating what we were doing for lawyers into something that was a little bit more lay oriented so that we could actually talk to people who weren't necessarily uh, corporate litigators or, or corporate lawyers. So at that point, you know, our, our daily publication is, uh, we do have a sort of, um, sort of daily memo piece of it that is a bit, you know, sometimes we have a a small piece of opinion or kind of summary uh, kind of legal memo type thing, but it's nothing like um, the the type of writing that I do on my sub stack, which is very stream of consciousness, kind of just like because I, I needed a place to kind of say all the things that were going on in my mind that was long form kind of writing last year when Twitter was going on. And so I started writing the Substack basically on nights and weekends, and my nights are long and my weekends are long. And so I started writing on Substack as just a, a an outlet. And so that's kind of what we consider like a sister publication to the main publication now. And that's mainly for people who are, you know, actually we have a lot of lawyers who subscribe to it, but 
finance folks and and just normal nerds and geeks and wonks and all Invest- sorts of- <laughs> and NFT bros and <laughs> yeah. crypto bros, Robin Hood app users, <laughs> all sorts now. Um, and so we follow over there. We follow like you know a lot of the cases in a lot more depth that are sort of popular right now. You know the AMC case happens to be the thing that is eating up all of my brain space, but. Um, Last year it was the Twitter case. Then you know, we covered the Fox case, which is why I was on the podcast here before. And then, um, so basically, sort of, it's more of a popular take on corporate law, and it's just an adjunct to the main publication, which is obviously still our our first focus. Yeah, and that's how we kind of overlapped. Yeah, is this AMC case? So f- a few weeks ago, um, obviously, you know, Hal has been in. This this whole idea of the corporate franchise, the LLCs, the uh, the Corporation Law Council, all of that stuff has been like, it's stuck in my crawl uh, because I know that it's something's up, but I don't understand it. You know, I don't know what's happening. I, I read Hal's book, and I and I've lived here my whole life, and I sort of try to follow it. And so they drop the new set of legislation. The recommendation comes over from the council, and here it is. So of course all. Uh, all of us and our comrades are looking at it, and we don't really know what we're looking at. And so, you know, I, we start doing some research to say, like, hey, what is this? What's the context? What, you know, why are they doing what they're doing? And it came across um, something you wrote in Substack that was that well, relevant to the AMC case, but also extremely relevant to one of the pieces of new legislation that will get sort of no media because nobody really knows what it is. So could you give some background uh, just briefly of the AMC case and the settlement that's pending in the Chancery Court and then sort of how when you looked at these law, when you looked at one of these new uh, pieces of legislation, um, you, you sort of uh, had a double take. Yeah. So, you know, the the changes from the Corporation Law Council, like you said, like Hal said, they come out every year. There are these sort of four sets of changes, usually the LLC Act, the, the Trust Act, the corporate. You know, so they, these these changes come out from the different sections of the bar. They go over to the legislature. They get sort of rubber stamped. At least that's Hal's account. I'm pretty sure that's everyone's account. That is sort of what happens. Um, it's it's a bragging point. Right. Just like Hal said, it's not something that Delaware shies away really from acknowledging. It's something that Delaware rests its on its laurels about um, because it's what we say makes us uh, efficient and uh, able to move rapidly into, you know, the newest and best thing to be responsive to whatever changes are necessary, et cetera. However, like I always, I always joke around and say like, yeah, authoritarianism is much easier than democracy. You know, democracy is messy and it's a pain in the ass, but um, I, I, I'll, I've gotten pushback on that, and we can talk about that. But, uh, but the thing is that that you've gotten pushback on the authoritarian. Yes, bit. because the 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 corp the corporation, you know, the the the, the corporate folks will say, well, manager the managerial folks in Delaware will say, well, corporations need strong managers, and yes, this isn't supposed to be a democracy. So, you know, take your democracy and shove it. This is supposed to be... So they're like, yes, we're authoritarian, <laughs> but stop using that yes, word. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we do not like it when you we use that like word. don't like that word. Yes. Managerialism is so much nicer of a fine. word. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had it out with uh, the, the, the famous... Uh, I mean, he was a famous prosecutor before he was a, a famous defense attorney, but our man Steve Wood at, at Kathy v. Kathy, I, I was like... 
this is corporate law council. That's, that's, you're always talking about the founding fathers. I was like, this isn't democracy. He's like, well, we need these experts to uh, right. basically. And, and what he was saying was like, basically engineer the law because they know what's what's happening and they can make all of these little tweaks and make everything. Yeah. You know, so you know what you're getting. They're, they're creating a product. Right. Um, that like the richest people in the world are using. Yeah, it really is this idea that that it's too complicated, you know, um, for anyone else to understand, and that you know that the legislators don't have time to deal with it, so they have to ship these changes over to the legislature. And you know, well, Delaware has set up their legislature to be like that, so th- that's not untrue, right? But so anyway. Look, okay, there's this AMC case that's pending in Delaware. Now, AMC last year or sometime in some, I don't even know what year it is anymore, but in the past at some point, they issued a bunch of sort of this bizarro, weird, preferred stock. And it was. And this, this is the movie theater chain. Yes, this AMC. is the movie theater chain. Now, you might also know them as what some people will call a meme stock. And don't get freaked out if you don't like the term meme stock. It just means a stock that became really popular around the same time. It became a meme. There were lots of memes about it. It was also, it is a movie company, but it also became a stock that people got really, uh, there was a lot of virality around the buying of the stock so aspect like the game of game stock. Game yeah, exactly. yeah, I recall AMC was the one that I think shut down the stock market for an afternoon, right? I <laughs> well, know at least Robinhood. GameStop like the, did. GameStop, GameStop was did? the they were they were the sort of twin and... flames at some point. They were yeah. like the they were overlapping in their kind of uh, insanity at some point. But yeah, no, AMC I think hit like you know uh, sixty nine. 42 or some some mimetic <laughs> you know price yeah. uh, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> and then and then kind of like hit that peak and then and then and then they what, what what's funny is that the big scandal was that that robin hood took away the buy button and you would think you know robin hood justifies itself as in saying look we didn't take away the sell button like you could have sold but the point was that oh, it's a long story. But what they wanted to do was squeeze the short sellers, and so they wanted to buy, buy, buy more to drive the price up, and so that retail sellers think that they lost that opportunity, or they say that they lost that opportunity when Robinhood took took away the buy button. And and surely, the, in in the rearview mirror, it looks like they did because the stock price t- tanked after the. Of course, if you if no one else can buy the stock anymore, the price is going to plummet. So if the only thing that can happen is that people can sell, then obviously. The price is going to go down, and it certainly did go down. So there was, you know, it, it was a big problem. Um, and brokers like Robinhood are um, sort of in, they are both at the center of all of these issues that are going on here, and they are also somehow noticeably absent from the discussion about any of the solutions. So, like, can I ask you a quick aside about yeah. Robinhood? And you might not know the answer. My understanding is that they're able to offer this sort of brokerage service basically for free because the way that it's processed um, actually takes some time. You know, we're talking about just like a minute, say. Uh, But there are other people in the market that can monitor that activity and actually make decisions to buy, sell, you know, puts and calls. They can in, in that within that minute, they're able to take an action based on what's happening on this on this app yeah is that is that true i mean do i have that as a layperson like kind of i'm not sure if that if it's actually what i you're you're right in a sense that they're selling all of their orders it's it's called pay for order flow and they basically citadel or there's another one and i i always forget the other one's name but it's a name that's much less 
uh, commonly heard in Citadel. There's there are some big, um, I don't know if they're market makers. These terms, I don't know these finance bros. They they have this whole world of language. They I I know as much about their world as they know about mine. But um, you know, basically, those are the customers of Robinhood in a sense. Like those folks are the ones that Robinhood is sort of uh, selling their product to. Their product are the the buy and sell orders from the retail traders. So like the retail traders put in their orders and then they sell them to Citadel and Citadel fills them or not. Like, so as, as best I understand it is what I would say is if you wanted to think about a model, you think about you are the product as a retail trader. If you go on Robinhood and open up your app, the reason that you can do it for free instead of like I always joke, like when I started trading, I had to pay E-Trade $7 a trade back in the day. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> it was exciting, but it was like $7 a trade. And the way the reason you don't have to do that anymore is because you're no longer the customer. You're now the product. And so when you go on Robinhood and you, you basically make that order, like you are creating the product for Robinhood to then sell to someone like Citadel, which is your order is now the product that they are selling. And so they are making some, I think, arbitrage kind of, you know, price on selling that to that know, order X, to X, X number of X number of buys are they coming do it in a at this million, number. million times yeah. a minute or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, all they have to do is arbitrage a few cents on every order or however it works and everyone can make money and you don't know any better because at some point, the pricing isn't the pricing is all kind of untethered from any reality anyway. So what are we even talking? Right. Nobody is going to notice. I mean, if if the market is just sort of this when AMC stock is going from four dollars to sixty nine dollars and forty two cents, none of it is like based in any sort of. Like, the PE what? the PE yeah. ratio hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, they're they're uh, here yeah. Yeah. Their, their their balance sheet looks pretty much the same. There's no way to like, you know, yeah, ground it in any sort of uh spreadsheet numbers, then it's like, well, you know, no one's going to be complaining, well, my my three cents that I lost on this trade, right? It's just all that that sort of froth is then easily given to to the middlemen. Yeah. So the AMC basically the, the this this fluctuation in price created the situation where there was curbs put on uh, in Robinhood at the at the uh, exchange, and so is this this is the the nature of the lawsuit. No, that had nothing that, to that do has with it. That nothing to do with it. Okay, <laughs> sorry. No, no, that's just like that's just how that. So that was just evidence of how. I mean, so it's sort of like tangentially has something to do with it. That's how they ran out of stock to that's why they needed to do the thing that they needed to do because they were having such a good time selling their stock and their stock was selling for so much money that they were like, oh, fuck, we need to we need to sell. We need to issue more stock. They hit the number that's right. specified in their certificate. Yeah, they like had sold like, all their stock. They had no issued more. all their stock. So then, then when the stock is selling for $69, it's no good to the company. It's just Joe Schmo selling to Jane Schmo out there back and forth. The company's not making any money on that deal. It's only making the company money when the company has new shares to issue into the market. So if, if, you're, if your stock is trading at some ridiculously inflated price, you should be issuing new shares into that market because you should be taking in that cash if you can. I mean, I 
think that's one of Matt Levine's like, you know, guideposts for life is like if your stock is wildly overvalued, you should take advantage of it because like you should bring in that capital. And so uh, they wanted to to take advantage of that and they couldn't because they had run out of shares uh, to issue in their certificate of incorporation. And so they needed to do something. And they tried to go to the stockholders and say, hey, we'd like to, you know, um, just issue a few more shares, like no big deal, like 550 million more shares. How about that? And stockholders were like, "Fuck no, like you're not going to dilute our holdings by just adding, you know, we've got this pot and you want to just break down that pot into more pieces. And like that's called dilution. And the stockholders didn't want that. And so there's a rule that says, the current rule says you need a quorum. You need a minimum number of voting stockholders to do that kind of a change to to to, for instance, issue new shares. Right. That's a that was a protection for minority stockholders like retail stockholders. They're just individuals all over the world. Actually, there's actually a lot of international stockholders of AMC. So for their for well, you can think of it as being quorum can be protection for a lot of different situations. It's not necessarily just protection of, for the minority, but it can be protection for a lot of against a lot of weird kind of gamification. But, you know, one thing is that it protects from just like someone with a weird incentive situation just coming in and just like getting 10 percent of the vote maybe not disclosing that there's a vote until the last minute, showing up for the vote by themselves, not telling the rest of the world that there's a vote properly or like somehow just like slipping one under the rug or something. And then, you know, oh, we had a vote and there was only 10 percent of people showed up. But tough shit, we had a vote and you didn't show up, but we passed it because all of us voted for it. Well, that would be weird. Right. But so they couldn't get 50 percent of people to show up and vote for it, which was the rule. You, they had to have 50 percent of people vote for the thing, for the dilution, for they call it share issuance. But yes, it was dilutive. And it was the, the stockholders thought that they that's what they would have said. It was dilution. And it, and it, it was it was dilutive to them to issue 550 million more shares. So then they tried to say, oh, well, how about 25 million? We just need some just like they were like junkies. You know, they had sold so many shares that they were they had raised so much capital during the pandemic, becoming a meme stock that this is how and you know, you can give credit where it's due to their CEO, who's if he has a, a certain set of skills, it was this. It was somehow going from a company that was completely shut down during the pandemic to rallying a bunch of uh retail stockholders to some of them invested like their entire 401ks into this single stock uh <laughs> i just want to say as uh, uh the, none of the things we say tonight on the highlands bunker podcast <laughs> yeah. should be looked at as investment uh advice yeah. that one in particular past performance is not indicative <laughs> of future results and um yeah i'm an idiot please so don't, don't do that don't I'll do go that. one step further don't listen to anyone's financial advice yeah right on the internet unless it's like or the anywhere. most conservative thing but also <laughs> Just maybe like, don't put all of your retirement into one thing no. also. <laughs> but so they, you know, they, they did though. They, 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 they had a business that was basically completely shut down almost overnight with the pandemic and their revenue just tanked, but their operating costs stayed effectively, you know, quite a lot of their fixed costs stayed quite the same. So they had to do something 
And they did something, which was they decided to sell a bunch of stock. And they did it pretty well. Like, they somehow, like, just imagine, like, that doesn't make any, that doesn't make logical sense. It's like, right, they just rallied a bunch of people out there to just buy their stock, get all excited about it. The thing is that, like, Cinemark, I think it's Cinemark or Cine something, one of these other cinema companies, theater companies, just exited bankruptcy because they had sort of faced a similar situation, but they had not gone this route. They had just sort of done the normal thing. And instead of, like, paying all of their leases in full with, like, retail stockholders 401k money, they probably just negotiated down the commercial real estate landlord's and said, you know, you'll get 20 cents on the dollar and tough shit and whatever. The losses were distributed elsewhere into the economy. <clears throat> you have to wonder, was the AMC situation really the best distribution of of loss across the economy? Like, is this was that really the right thing? Like, why wasn't bankruptcy perhaps like the the better option? Right. It's a much bigger question than we can answer right now. But in any case, they had gone through this this excitement phase where they had like raised all this uh, money issuing stock. They had run out of stock to issue, so they had to do something creative. So they came up with something very creative to do. By the way, the new rule that's coming out that was proposed in the DGCL that I wrote about in the Substack, just as a little preview, is the thing that's going to change that quorum rule. That quorum where the, you know, the thing that they that AMC tried to do twice that they failed to do, they will no longer have to worry about that if they face this situation in the future. It just so happens. Yeah, it just so happens. Presciently. That, uh, SB 114, which is one of these package of uh, corporate law council bills, has a component to it which will immediately address the quorum rules that AMC was trying to use to do this to do this scheme. Yeah. Um, and the can you can you sort of, well before we get to the impact of that can you just sort of there's a there kind of t- update everybody on what the AMC situation what the matter yeah. is now what's what's pending in chancery court right. with the AMC so they case did a now. cute thing i'm not going <clears> to <throat> try to totally explain it cuz it's quite complicated but they issued a cute type of preferred stock which is there's common stock and then there's preferred stock they did like a a, a bit too cute of a thing with their preferred stock that got them in trouble and they got sued in the court of chancery over it because the plaintiff said that it was a breach of fiduciary duty and a violation of section 242 of the DGCL. So there was an injunction put on the, they had a vote that was pending to sort of what the point was to take this cute preferred stock that they had issued and then collapse it back into the common stock because the whole point of this cute little thing that they did was to make an end run around what they had wanted to do all along was which was to issue more common stock so instead of because they couldn't issue more common stock they issued this preferred stock that they just eventually wanted to dump that bucket back into the common stock bucket the plan was always to make a new bucket and call it preferred stock which it was and then dump that bucket back into the common stock bucket and then you ended up with just a bigger bucket of common stock which is what you always wanted in the first place so the 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 end result is what they wanted originally which the shareholders wouldn't give them originally and they are going to be getting it out of this case however they're going to be getting it via a settlement now because the the there was an injunction put in place and then the parties settled 
it's a class action. So the court has to approve the settlement because it's on behalf of, you know, the entire class will be impacted by it. So there will be some compensation to the class. And um, so the court has to decide whether that compensation is sufficient, you know, to address the the breach of fiduciary duty and the potential violation of Section 242. But, you know, you can even see in the in the briefing about the settlement, the plaintiff even says, it's no coincidence that the Delaware legislature has proposed these changes to Section 242. And so I, I just want to make this clear because people might not understand what's happening here. The Chancery Court is in the process of reviewing the settlement. In that process, an attorney says, wow, while we're doing this, there's been uh, changes uh, requested from the Corporate Law Council to the legislature that are addressing exactly this situation, 242. And when I read that, I was like, well, that's fascinating. This is unusual. This yeah, this is, is, uh, seems very unusual. This is very, uh, very, 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 very unusual, very irregular because it's. It was my understanding. I mean, my, you know, like I think I wrote in the Substack. Like I don't, I don't know. I couldn't necessarily point to wh- wh- what the rule is, but like I just would say, like this is not okay. This is not okay for for proposed legislation to impact currently pending litigation like i don't know what the rule is but i'm just sure that this isn't the way that it's supposed to be it can't be the policy of the council to have proposed legislation impact currently pending litigation like i just i don't know where it's written but it has to be written somewhere right i mean if anything it feels like the corporate bills that come year after year that are rubber stamped are like reacting right like they want to stay in the there's good always graces a joke that the, of... like there's a big joke every year that it's like oh what cases did the plaintiff's bar win last year right. that, those are the changes you're going to see to the dgcl next year it's like a definitely going to be that whatever you know so such and such case and this and that case but it's always at least a year or two in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, okay. I mean, that's kind of cute and a little annoying maybe, especially for the plaintiff's bar. But it's like, that's at least already happened. It's already it's already done business, right? It's complete. It's not, this is in medias res. This is like, we're sitting in the inside the middle of it. You can say that it's like, Okay, the case is, quote, settled, but it's not. This is a class action litigation. This is a matter that is currently, this is, this case is the most fucking currently pending before the court case I have ever had in my life. This case is 20 filings a day before this court. This case is going to have a two-day settlement hearing on the 29th and 30th. This case is unlike anything that has happened in this court in the last i don't know how forever there were 2850 filings in the objection phase by pro se litigants mostly 2849 by pro se litigants that is oh that is so that's like unheard of by a a a a factor of I don't know, 2,800 and something. That's like, yeah. that's insane. Okay, it sounds like this case is rizzed up. <laughs> it's very yeah. rizzed up. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess, like, and that was what I was trying to get my arms around. Like, there's this feeling like, well, there is a settlement. So sort of like the case is settled. Pretty much settled. But, the set, but it's not pretty much it's settled. It's not. All of those terms 
need to be adjudicated and approved. And not only that, as you said, it's one thing to say, well, we have to approve the terms. It's another thing to look at it and say, we're getting thousands of motions. We're getting all of this stuff. It is not, it's a very, very cloudy situation. And so, yeah, this is still an open question. And it's certainly something that the court doesn't want to have, especially you don't even want the appearance of it to be a foregone conclusion, right? The, the worst, like, so you don't, it's not a foregone conclusion. You also don't want it to have the appearance of being a foregone conclusion because the court has been very careful to, uh, to both avoid the reality of that and the appearance of that, this entire process, like that it's important that no one feels that it's a foregone conclusion or, and that it's not that it's both, right? Like you have to, it's like when you have a conflict of interest on in the judicial uh, space, the appearance of a impropriety is as important as the lack of an impropriety or something like that, right? It's like you, you have to be as concerned about the appearance of something bad happening as you do about the, the, the something bad happening itself. And here it's as important that it doesn't appear that this, this, outcome is a foregone conclusion as it is that it's not a for we know that it's not a foregone conclusion we know that vice chancellor zern who is overseeing this case will consider the case on its merits with all of the everything that she has in the record after the hearing with fully and completely i know that for sure however it's equally as important that all of these millions of onlookers who are new to this court also can understand that and it's important that it doesn't occur like oh it's it's already it's already done like it's it's very much not done and she's she's made clear in all of her communications to the public sort of stockholder facing communications that that it's 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 not done that it's it's still a matter for the court to decide this is not a thing that the parties get to say this is not a normal settlement like anyone understands most people when they think about court settlements they think that's completely under the control of the parties that's it's almost the opposite here the court has to act as a fiduciary for the parties for the for the absent class members so the it is not at all under the control of the parties in fact the court is there to be a check on the parties trying to sort of like uh, abscond with some settlement value and settlement releases and then just sort of, you know, stiff the remainder of the class. So the the whole point is that the parties are not the ones driving. If the parties were the ones driving the car, we would have left in April. We would have been gone in April or something. They are not. The court is. And so and then there's also, you know, there are Obviously, the court is in charge, and the court will hand will will have control over this. But to say that this is not somehow like I know that there has to be this rule that the the proposed legislation doesn't impact currently pending litigation. However, I cannot see how this proposed legislation squares with that rule because it's already impacted this litigation. It's cited in the damn brief. For the settlement, because the plaintiff says it's evidence that the settlement is a, a, a good deal because, look, the legislature is already in a sort of validating defendant's theory that blah, blah, blah. That it's a little bit complex to go into here, but the, mm-hmm. it's cited in the brief, right? Yeah, so basically, let me break this down and make sure that I understand. So the 
the the plaintiffs are looking at it like, okay, we're going to we're trying to nail down this settlement. It's still, it's it, we don't know what we're going to get. The court has to review all of this stuff. But the, there's an argument the plaintiffs are making to say, oh, it must be good because they're already looking to change it in favor of. Defendants. The, 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 the defense. That's right. In favor of the corporation. So if while you're deciding whether or not this is good on these grounds and this for this rule, and they're actively trying to make sure that this basically never happens again, uh, which is what they do, as you said, usually it's a two-year lag, where they'll say, like, oh, the plaintiffs will win a case. And they're like, well, we're not going to let that happen again. But here the <laughs> plaintiffs haven't even won yet. Right. And so that's really what the what the what the sticking point is. I think Bill, did you 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 went through a lot of the material too? You know, a lot of the a lot of the the the, the changes to the code are 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 sort of described and footnoted, and they even say like, oh, in this case, the plaintiffs won, so we got to do X. But here in this for this particular one. <laughs> They don't mention the AMC case. No, they don't. So it's almost like, yeah, we tell you why we're doing all of these changes to sort of tighten it up and give the corporations a better, you know, a better chance, a better chance, you know, a better deal. Um, and so then they'll, they'll reference, you know, the cases that they're trying to, you know, yeah. ad- address. Well, we had a loophole. Oh, the plaintiffs won. We got to close that loophole. The plaintiffs loophole. Well, yeah, the synopsis is it's kind of written like a like a law review article to mm-hmm. a degree. Like, yeah, they're citing the court cases that these, these changes are, are, are describing. Um, I think we should all, I don't know if we should point out too, it's like maybe even before the legislation was released, like a major Wilmington firm had like a whole primer on what the changes are going to be. You know, clearly, you know, someone who was working adjacent to or with the, the corporate law council, it's like, yeah, all this info is just like shared and then it's just sort of inserted out into the General Assembly. And in the General Assembly's summary, the thing that's most disturbing about it is that it that on on the legislate the legislative website for SB one fourteen, it says, you know, it, it it describes the legislation as as being about reverse splits, which, you know, is it's a way for 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 companies to avoid delisting if their stock price falls you know, below a dollar. And so it it really only emphasizes that this legislation is about reverse splits, which is basically to prevent this delisting uh, function. The thing is that there's these like three words at the beginning of the of the section seven that say to issue shares or increase shares or then or decrease or and then the reverse split language. This like two words allows a company to effectively infinitely dilute its stockholders with no guardrails other than either reputational or like mathematical or sort of like financial, you know, like this, the, the sort of stock price impact. Um, and there's no mention of that. They're changing the quorum rules for stock issuance without even mentioning it in the summary. It just feels incredibly disingenuous it's a huge conceptual change to change the fact that you no longer have to have a 50 percent quorum now you can have 10 percent of people show up to vote for a stock issuance and 
if 6% of them vote in favor, the thing passed. You could have 2% of people show up for a vote. And if 1.5% of them vote for it, it's it passes. This is a whole new world in terms of uh, stock issuance. This is like, this is, this changes the dynamics in terms of like, uh, the incentives for disclosure and sort of the way that companies release information and communicate with their stockholders, it it could have all sorts of very bizarre impacts if you think about, um, if you think through some of the ways that it could really get wonky in terms of like, uh, there's a lot of really weird complexities that could, could, could roll out of it also for sort of like... Um, hold up situations or sort of like um, you could sort of uh, put a gun to the corporation's head in a way if you were like if you had a bunch of if you had a big you know if you were kind of like a weird hedge fund who wanted to come in and say because you, you could just you don't need a big position now to make a big impact because there's no more quorum requirement like you could have if you owned 10% of a company now you have a much bigger uh, sort of move you can make because there's it used to be that you at least had to get 50 percent of everybody on board to like go to the vote and do right. the thing right now you can kind of like you can make different kinds of moves now there are all sorts of weird things that just it's not clear that may look maybe everybody has thought all of this through but it sure seems like everybody deserves a bit more uh information about it a bit more like explanation and explication of the conceptual background there's not even i don't even think the word quorum is like in the summary but it's 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 removing the quorum requirement and that's not even mentioned explicitly yeah, i mean i think that that's that was always my my angle on it is like there's no, there's there's literally no look into it. That's why I no, read the no. read the the, the Weitzman p- uh, passage beforehand. It's like it, it's bad enough that we can go back and say, as we said before, we're going to close these plaintiff loopholes. So, so they won this case. We're going to close that. We're going to close that. We're going to close that. Here, um, they're doing that, but they're really they're doing it before the settlement is final, and they're doing it in a way where they're. They they seem like because other citations are made very clear for some changes. They seem like like if you can cite all of that, the reason you're not citing this here is because you know you're going early. Right. Mm-hmm. You know you sort of you understand what you're doing, but you don't want to wait till next year. You don't know how long to settle. This is all going to take. So the legislature does whatever we want anyway. So just do it now. Yeah, and there's some you know like. And look, I don't think there's any actual pressure on Vice Chancellor Zern because I think she has plenty of tools in her toolkit. But there's some like discomforting kind of like situation where if she rejects this settlement, it does trigger a termination right between the parties as to the settlement agreement. And there's some question about what that does in terms of AMC's actual ability to invoke this actual legislation after actual this actual August 1st in real life, in real time. Look, maybe you're going to say that's not this pending litigation anymore because the litigation would be what? 
obviated or something, that would be completely disingenuous. I mean, the thing is, the, this litigation isn't going to disappear because it was a breach of fiduciary duty and they have to remedy that past breach of fiduciary duty. I don't think that breach, that past breach of fiduciary duty doesn't disappear just because the act, you know, everything is twice tested under Delaware law. It doesn't become uh, not a breach of fiduciary duty just because it was permissible. It also doesn't become a breach just because it's now permissible under this new law when it happened in the past. So it's not like it's going to absolve them of the breach of fiduciary duty claims. Just to be clear, the breach here would be issuing the ape shares. Yeah. Circumventing the the end around. Yeah. The the preferred shares, issuing preferred shares in a way that you knew you were going to incorporate them and and dilute the the common share bucket. Okay. And so because that was alleged to be a breach, because it was this sort of end around thing, uh, I don't I don't I, I don't see how this new so there was a two forty two claim, which I do think sort of could just basically sort of almost problematically kind of disappear if the new legislation is just in place. It's like, well, it was a breach of the old two forty two, so I don't I don't know how that actually plays, you know, but that would be weird. Weirder. The breach of fiduciary duty claims are a little less weird. You get a little bit of inception kind of thinking like, okay, well, they were predicated on the old 242. Now we've got the new 242. Like, how do we think about this temporally? You know, Zern is very into thinking about metaphysical concepts of corporate law. She literally just did it in a case. Like, she's, she's, she, she would get into it. But she had I'm... the globe out. She's like, has, she has the globe. She's like, she's like, where did this come from? What is the meaning of she this? She was trying to figure out whether a corporation that, like, didn't exist could hire counsel. It was like a dissolved, I forget if it was like some sort of entity that, like, no longer technically existed could have attorney client privilege because it didn't technically exist. Ooh. It was fascinating. The Morgan Zern mindset. <laughs> <laughs> love it. So, um, you know, the thing is that so I don't think that this case like just goes away, but that also does because also AMC wants the release from the court I and mean, they the, the release that they're asking for is quite broad and it absolves them of like all federal securities litigation claims, all future. I mean, the, I read the language the other night on a live stream and it was like. People were like, wait, what? It's like, oh, future, possible, imaginary, thought about anything you could possibly ever dream about. You know, it's like all this. Anything uh, we could have done. Could have done, would have done, might have done. Thought about about doing. I thought about it and they did it. It's all all good now. So it's a very, very broad scope of release. And and they want that. And they won't get that if they just try to run out and, you you know, invoke this new legislation. However, does it still like... Like, again, does the new gestalt of like, oh, well, this is coming. So I as a judge, I should like recognize that this is coming. I don't want to basically swim upstream against this this legislation. I don't see how you can argue that that doesn't impact her her thinking about it, because, look, the plaintiffs are already arguing that it should impact her thinking, that it that it that it appropriately does, because this is the way that Delaware is moving, they argue. This is the way that the law is going. So you would be you would be going backwards. You would be swimming back upstream to say something completely different, because how could you how could you say now, oh, this is a this is a big problem because you'll be then directly contravening what is now going to be the new law. And so I think it's absurd to say that this is not 
impacting a currently pending litigation in some absolutely literal Elon Musk kind of like literal reading, you know, whatever strict textualist way, maybe, maybe. But like in any kind of normal human thinking about what those words really mean, I don't think you can genuinely say the the passage of this legislation, even the proposal of this legislation at this time isn't inappropriate because of how it already has impacted this case, whether or not it passes. And by all accounts, now that it's come out of admin committee, it sure seems like it's yeah, we saw we saw late last night that um, the the bill, while it wasn't given a hearing in the administration committee in in the in the Senate, uh, was um, just walked out. The House, so, in the House, the house yeah. oh, pardon me, in the House. The yeah, I, I, I was I was looking at SB one for the SB yeah. got me. Yeah, SB doesn't mean anything in this, in this case. Uh, the House uh, administration committee, and so. They just basically just rubber stamped it there. Speaking of rubber stamping, you look at the back. We don't have to have a hearing. Just send it to the floor. Just make sure you sign the backer. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah it's fine. It's fine. You know, it's Nothing fine. to see here. Yeah, and my, you know, I can kind of, I, I, look, they're going to do this. If they didn't do it this term, they would have just waited until the settlement, until, until the settlement was final and then do it the next time. My greater issue is what, Hal calls the process. The process is bad. The process is completely uh, secret, basically, and and even when you raise or you, you know, it's impossible to get like information. Um, if you try to raise an issue like we're raising now and say, well, you know, maybe it looks like the plaintiffs are going to win, but it's not a done deal yet. So maybe it's a bad idea to start legislating. The issue before it's finished. So, like, the, the, no matter what you say, it's not done. Like, yes, there's a settlement, but it has to be reviewed. It is not. It's an open case. And my other issue, you brought up Musk. And I'm sorry to do this. But I have to bring this up because of something we talked to Hal about that was in that passage that we all know. This is a product. This is a product at Delaware are laws that are very, very corporate friendly and that will be very agile in fixing any time that they might lose mm-hmm. um, is a product. It's not about, like, what's fair? What should we be doing? Like, who should we be talking to? It's like, what, how, what's the best product we can make for corporations? And one of the reasons that I've seen is because Musk moved his corporation to Nevada. Yeah. And so now they're like, oh, no, look what just happened. Which, again, the two things don't have that much to do with each other. Musk is just he's he's butthurt because right. he got he got hosed uh, and, ma- and he got for the first time in his life made to, to do something he didn't really want to do. So he moved the, the company to Nevada. Yeah. But now, you know, it's like we got to we have to be even more proactive with these laws. We have to lay down even more for these uh, corporate defendants. We have to engineer this product even in, in, in even more fine of a way. Because 
you know, these other these other states, they're gonna they're gonna creep up. Oh man, can we play that like Myron Steele clip? Because that part about the the tractor trailer coming out of uh, Washington D.C. I swear to God, I could just listen to it on repeat. It's like, you know, he's just like. He said, I'll never forget when I heard them talking about Nevada, you know, getting rid of the duty of loyalty, uh, uh, how, you know, you could basically waive uh, a breach of fiduciary duty for the duty of loyalty and never, never forget. And he was, I guess, talking to one of the judges or somebody over at some conference he was talking about. And he said, you better watch out because someday that tractor trailer is going to come out straight out of Washington, D.C. and it's going to flatten your ass right on the road if you're not <laughs> careful. And it's like. That is, you know, basically he was saying you're going to allow people to charter in your state. You're going to charter lawbreakers and you're going to end up being it's it's the race to the bottom. And you're going to be your the, the federal government is going to suddenly realize that you have allowed people to trample over the rights of of regular ordinary stockholders and they're going to have a, a a wake-up call and when that wake-up call comes it's going to be painful and i don't think people appreciate the absolute force i don't know why people don't appreciate it i guess because they're not paying any attention i don't think they appreciate the force and uh power behind the like the the retail stockholder community and if you do something that's so alienating to them and they eventually figure it out um you know they're gonna eventually raise a, a ruckus about it and it's not a good idea to just go around doing things that are dis literally disenfranchising to millions of the most active members of the internet public who are the most, the loudest, most, and I think, honestly, this is why Delaware is doing it, because they're sick and tired of, I mean, they already are probably, you know, tired of how much noise, the companies are probably tired of how much noise these retail stockholders have made, despite the fact that they took retirement funds and billions of dollars from these retail stockholders well they don't want the collateral sort of consequence which is they have a say now you have to listen to them <laughs> yeah, yeah they actually yeah. they actually have stock in your company and are supposed to be able to have some sort of say right but they don't like that you kind of raised this point a few minutes ago if you know if this goes through like what obligation then does a corporation have to communicate with its shareholders on like an honest and regular basis like if it's really just appealing to a very connected 10% like what like what do they owe the common the peasant out there right right i mean, they, I mean? i'm sure they still have like the the There's the same probably... disclosure rules mm -hmm. like obviously this the same disclosure rules will apply but the way that they implement those those rules will be so different i'm sure in a lot of cases they'll probably start to gamify the way that they do it in order to uh basically incent they, they no longer have any incentive to drive out of to drive a vote right they only they they would rather minimize the amount of people they want the they want they the, want the quorum showing up right and then they want at least a majority no, there they don't have a quorum they, anymore so right. they want just the people who they want to show up to vote <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> which just means like one you know controller or something i mean it doesn't even i don't even there as far as i 
can tell there are no there's not even any kind of I, I i mean this all sounds absurd to say but there's not even any insider or controller limitations on this i mean this is i feel like, i always feel like i have to be wrong about these things when i think them through but it's like maybe there has to be something there got to be some guardrails don't there have to be some guardrails uh but even if there were controller or insider guardrails on it uh you would just want like one fund to show up you know one you would just want your one buddy fund to show up yeah. or your one you know the whatever voting you know your your one the one vote you knew you had that was an institutional kind of vote and that's it you just you really wouldn't you wouldn't have any incentive anymore no you know they like they had to like beg and plead and communicate like that was their whole job to try to get these votes before mm -hmm. and now that's just that's gone yeah i mean we just we our our product our whole game our sales pitch in delaware is if you have tons of money we'll make it easy for you like it you know whatever it is whether it's in the development of real estate uh or corporate law mm -hmm. yeah i mean they have a vested interest in making sure that the least number of people can talk about it um the least number of people understand it and and that their product is pure pure garbage like capitalist nonsense you know, it's like, it, it's just not, and again, I don't know, my, my other question is, and, and, and this is kind of like, this is a little bit sticky, so I don't know, you, you might have, Chance, a better feel for it than, than maybe Bill, but you can both sort of chime in. These are sophisticated people, very sophisticated attorneys, corporate attorneys, and they they know that they're doing this this is not like oh you know we don't want these we don't want these companies to be delisted that's terrible and we want our product to be you know top notch they they know what they're doing this is not like they're 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 like every year now that i'm getting more into it and i always knew it happened but now that i'm understanding like the details Every year, they must just go back to the, the the clubs that they go to and just laugh and laugh and laugh, because it's like, hey, yeah, if any plaintiff ever wins, we'll just fix it. Well, what's really bizarre to me and that I don't understand, like I don't know about, and what's obviously going on is that, I mean, if you if you, I'm sure they speak frankly about these things somewhere in some place somewhere, but if you speak frankly to people about this in the business, the people who know will say, well, yeah, this, this legislation was paid for by someone. Well, okay, but, like, to whom and by whom? Well, we know by whom, presumably here, but, like, then how does this even work, right? To whom and, like, what? And, we, and, and are these things just, like, are they just irreparably undiscoverable? And are is there really no, uh, is it, is this just, I mean... It's so naive of me to be so naive. <laughs> but like, is it really just that we can never know? 
Yeah, um, and that and that's the thing too in in the Weitzman passage, right? This this group is 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 made up of members, attorneys from the top handful of, of firms. These are firms that probably subscribe to Chancery Daily. Um, these are firms that the the the, the heavy don't unsubscribe, hitters, please. Don't unsubscribe. <laughs> I love you. Look, <laughs> if you don't unsubscribe. <laughs> Don't you need to know this information? You need to know what we're talking about. Chance does what, a lot of work. What, don't. What if I say things bad about you? You want to no, know? No, it's fine. <laughs> she, 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 she said, "Don't worry about it." Do you miss like the halcyon days of 2009 when you could read a 10,000 word blog entry? Like, <laughs> subscribe to the Substack. There were at least like two or three. A week. But like, but, but so my question is this: like, I, I mean, we'll use since we're using AMC, we'll just use that as an example. AMC has attorneys who practice at the bar who are the defense attorneys in this matter. I'm assuming, and I don't know this, but because there's only a handful of firm of, of firms that are sort of part of this cohort, there's attorneys from the firm defending or, or representing AMC in this matter, and there's attorneys from the same firm on the corporate law council. Right. Yeah, they were the same firm wrote the thing that Bill mentioned earlier, the first explainer that came out. I mean, obviously not the not the attorneys that are actually of record. Right. In the not, case. The, not the individuals, right. but, but the like, same firm, you know, and, and they'll just say like everybody does in Delaware. Oh, it's a small it's a small bar. And how else are we going to do it? And like. True. It's not our fault. <laughs> True. Hey, However, look, I did everything perfectly. <laughs> I did everything perfectly. I don't know why anybody. This person's coming to this bunker. They have a big problem with what we're doing. It was a perfect SB one fourteen. Perfect. SB one fourteen. All of it. Perfect. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like, like, and and I guess that gets back to me. And and I'm sensitive to this kind of stuff. Like I I hate like, I hate getting screwed when somebody's like they got you. But they got you. I mean, they can do whatever. It's the same people uh, representing the companies that are that are, f- you know, fixing the law and then telling you like that you don't understand it. This is what we're doing, and it's just um, it, it's it's wild to me actually that no that that most powerful people in this state don't care about this. Well, it's it's almost worse. It's like that, you know, I can. I can surely imagine the, I don't know, it's the combination of like condescension and um, patron patronizing and like paternalistic kind of head patting look I would get if I ever raised this to someone, you know, it would just be like, you sweet summer child, like, why are you so... What what are you even talking about? Of course, it's like this has to be how it works, or that there's no other way to do it, or that that it's not a problem, or it's, it's I don't I don't even know how they. It's like ah, oh, you fool! As as you get right. older, you'll, you'll become understand. more conservative. Yeah, you'll, be, exactly. you'll, you'll see yeah. the way. You'll see. Uh, <laughs> once we we have we have fiscal <laughs> conservatism. We have we have two kids in Tatton and somebody at Brown. I mean, yeah. we gotta. Yeah, this we, is the way we do it. Right. Yeah, it's like um. Yeah, and I think we, we, you know, and and we all have a responsibility. I mean, this is kind of why, in a general sense, we're doing all of this is like, <clears throat> we have some responsibility to be like, you know what? No, 
No, I don't think you should be doing it. Actually, yeah, I mean, not like I, I don't think I don't I don't think that you should be um, engineering and and basically molding a process as you go to make sure that the outcomes are X and doing it in secret and then telling me that I'm an idiot, which I am an idiot, but telling other people that know what they're talking about that they're an idiot for just being like, well, that's seems seems wrong. You know, yeah, I don't like that. And, and again, uh, we've mentioned here most of the work that we do is um, is driven by spite. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. like, like yeah. So it's just like you're you're just you're lying. You know, I, I we see what you're doing. Like you're not tricking anybody. Um, but but again, I think so much has been invested in the idea that this is our product. This is us. You know. We have to. We have. We have the best experts. What that means is we have the best like people who can fix it. Like they know exactly how to turn the dials to get what you want. And 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 that's that's been the that's been the case. I think we were talking before. Like yeah, we don't. We want the experts to do it, not democracy. Just right. let the experts do it. But the problem is the experts have. It's not a bunch of of independent experts. It's the same people in the same fucking firms that are defending these. They're, they're working these matters. You know, if it was a, you know what? I'm not, this is a hypothetical. If, if, it, if it was 27 completely independent corporate law experts and they had to, and, they, and, and the process worked like this, maybe you could say, okay, they don't have a, they, they're not, they're not, they don't have a, 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 a financial interest in what's happening, and so they're just making decisions based on what they think is best, and if they want to be, you know, they'll all be conservative, and they'll all, you know, try to close the plaintiff loopholes, whatever you want to say. I mean, the thing is that they would say, and I'm I'm sure that they're right, is that they could never make as many changes as they do because they couldn't get the kind of consensus that they get by being so aligned in their vision for the kinds of moves that they want to make. But that's presuming that 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 all requires the predicate belief that we have to have these kind of changes to survive as a state. And I don't I personally don't think that the evidence is there. And and Kyle has been, you know, like has done lots of research on this over the years and has a lot of a lot of strong feelings about it that, you know, that a lot of the same old saws that we hear about the the threats and the risks are just the same worn, repetitive kind of fear mongering, and that it's that there are there are real concerns under there, but there are also just empty, really like trite kind of things that are just I think almost childishly thrown at the legislature. To just worry them into just signing off on things um, in a way that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I mean that's like the the idea that this is our product, right? And you don't want right. to mess with like if you don't fuck if, this if, up. If you start asking questions, right? You're fucking up our product. Yeah. If you start sort of questioning whether and 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 Weitzman's chapter on that gets into a time where Kawako actually did this and was embarrassed um, because. 
you know, it's like you, if you question this, you're questioning like our our essence. Right. Yeah, you don't like, want to accidentally hit the golden goose with your car. Right. Yeah. Like right. That is that is the threat that they're sort yeah, of. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, I didn't see it in the crosswalk, us. and now now it's dead. Yeah. That's the one thing I think you go to the legislature and there's like firm instructions. Do not F that up. That is not that is not a place to, uh, you know, amend bills in an unfriendly manner or something. But it's like the thing that I think is interesting is that I think that if if people really understood what Delaware is, that it would be like actually embarrassing versus if versus the way that we portray ourselves i think that there's this 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 real delta between the delaware way that as we present it and then the actual reality of it and i think that there's as big of a risk of us getting found out for being fucking frauds <laughs> as there is of somebody running over the golden goose by actually trying to give us the integrity that we need to have in running us running the state and the system in a in a in a manner that's actually you know that has some integrity that is that is sort of well thought through and 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 deserving of the reputation that we have there's a, a balance. Point. Yeah, that's a good point because actually, like, I mean, Kowalko being the example in the book, like, there's there there are there's institutional safeguards within the legislature to never allow that to happen. Now, that doesn't mean it won't change slowly as more people start to question what's happening and we have conversations like this. But it's not going to be like it's not going to be some acute like oh my god somebody just did something <laughs> right. run up on the sidewalk and ran over the golden goose <laughs> right exactly <laughs> like because there's too many safeguards right. there to allow that to happen right really the the, the the fear is like something happens and you're like what the fuck are you doing you just yeah you get found out yeah we're going to get found we're out gonna as, get a, as found a cheat out as as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a as a state that people are, someone's going to come in and say wait what is really going on here is this actually people are going to actually read Hal Whiteson's book and appreciate it and come and actually try to look under the hood here and say holy shit this actually wait a minute all these corporate law professors who think that our you know that our system is a certain way uh if people actually start interrogating those beliefs and not just doing what the legislators do and taking it all for you know on faith from the corporation law council well at some point they're either going to have the integrity in the foundation and and leo strine talks about this right after uh myron Steele talks about the getting run over by the tractor trailer coming out of dc you know strine goes on to say basically that our brand is actually integrity. It's not uh, whatever uh, all this other. It's not a race to the bottom. It's not being the place where, you know, corporations can do whatever the fuck they want. It's not that. We act like it is. Some, we forget. We think we the, the Corporation Law Council, I think, forgets more than it remembers that it's not about shit we got to beat Wyoming and Maryland and Nevada and we got to we got to be the place where Elon I don't want to be the place where Elon Musk wants to incorporate his goddamn companies like 
let him go to Nevada and do his dumb shit. That is that is an advertisement for Delaware. What happened last year was the best advertisement for Delaware that we could have ever had. Uh, also, if if it's such a risk that we could lose companies to these other states, why didn't AMC just go incorporate somewhere else where they could have done whatever? So, like, if this, you know, there are other states that have this no quorum, well... It's actually not true that there are other states. You know, Bainbridge, Professor Bainbridge tried to make a point, but I think he actually might have misinterpreted the MBCA in making the point. He said, he sort of implied that there were other states that that that, that didn't have this quorum requirement, but I actually don't think that's a proper interpretation of the MBCA. But anyway, imagine that there were other states. Why wouldn't AMC, like, wh- why... People aren't leaving Delaware to just go and run off to whatever state they can do these random things in. People aren't leaving Delaware to go to zero uh, franchise fee states. Mm-hmm. People aren't leaving Delaware to go to whatever state they can go waive all the duty of this and that yeah, and the other state. I've, I've literally had this face-to-face argument with the governor. Right. And, and, and I, what, I mean, what I call it is capital flight. Right. Like if you don't close every loophole, you don't make it. If you don't lie down and take it. Everything will go away. And there's literally no evidence that that will happen. No, there is not. It's not happening. Like, so no one's going to Maryland other than REITs, you know, for favorable tax treatment. But we're not closing any favorable tax treatment loopholes in this. Like, that's... There are small pockets of things where we might once in a while lose... a incorporation to another state but they're very particular weird things elon musk was butthurt maybe an rit goes to maryland but in in the main no one is running off and re because you know what incorporating in a state is is a million moving pieces it's a you know how many things you're impacted by when you're incorporated in a state you're incorporated by a whole ecosystem of things you're not going to make this decision based on one small tiny tweak in the in 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 the ecosystem right you're going to choose the forum that has the most reliable frankly in my opinion courts that are going to give you the best sort of most reliable outcome when you need that and that's what the twitter case proved last year was the thing that you can trust us for and integrity yeah integrity integrity and consistency yeah, it, doesn't, it and, doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be engineered to give you a particular result right. just be like this is the best we have the best people it doesn't we, we have the we best don't, people we don't yeah, have we to have bribe them to stay here right we don't have to be bought out to give them every little thing that they think that they want it's easier that way though sure it's easier sure. just to lie down yeah like and i think that that's part of the delaware way right it's like we don't we actually don't have to do that because of the the infrastructure and institution and and intellectual capital that's here in this uh you know in the courts in the corporate courts um we don't have to do this but it's the easiest thing to do well and to be fair it would be it, it would be probably easier for the courts like i mean if this amc case weren't in the courts the courts would have it a lot easier i mean it's like the thing is that there are just there is a bigger issue to grapple with, which is if we're going to allow companies to to raise four billion dollars of capital from retail stockholders, 
What are we going to do about it on the other end in terms of allowing them to have recourse or voice or whatever in a system that's never that's not set up to allow them to have that? Right. Our courts are not set up to allow them to participate like as pro se litigants. They can't rationally afford uh, Delaware lawyers. They can't. None of it is meant for this. But we just opened the floodgates during the pandemic. The Robin Hood sort of phenomenon just started shifting everything to have this be like a I mean, it's not that retail stockholdership is a new thing, but it certainly got mega amplified. And this became a whole phenomenon, right? And so, and none of our flip side systems are ready for it. Like, and so you see this now in like, in this is in the voting context with these rules, the courts are dealing with it in the class action, you know, situation. Like, and, and it's the brokers are... There's so many ways in which the the pipe system is not meant to sort of carry this much waste or shit or whatever. Like they're they're just the whole infrastructure is not there. And like no one has the political will to fix the old 1980s teletype infrastructure that's driving half of that stuff and nobody believes that it's as bad as it is because who could possibly believe that some of our financial systems are still running on some bullshit you know like nobody can actually comprehend that so like there's so many levels of issue that 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 all this stuff starts to like cascade onto and nobody they're all intertwined they're all interrelated and nobody's worrying about it when they're just out there issuing shares and doing at the market offerings and trying to get trying to do capital raises that end up in the hands of retail stockholders uh, when they need cash. You know, nobody's thinking, oh, what's this going to be like when we have a class action settlement and yeah. we have a uh, 5000 fucking pro se interveners? Yeah. Yeah. When things go sideways, you find yourself in a unique sort of position or you tried to you know you tried to do right. it you tried to you thought something was going to play it really didn't play and so then it's and you're like stuck and it's now like, you're stuck it's like you know i just p- picture it was like in in uh was it game of thrones or whatever it's like now they're like trying to close the wall no now they're like oh shit you know and it's not like we don't fix the problem we don't do something we don't i don't know it's not a good analogy but it's like we just now they're just trying to shut the 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 gates instead of like actually uh figuring out how we got here and how to actually allow the like the communication whatever it is that is the incoming sort of thing instead of allowing it allowing those communications it's it's more like oh we just need to cut this we need to silence this right we just need to not take these votes anymore we need to not listen to this uh, contingent anymore we just need to say nope don't need a quorum anymore so you know and what they'll say is no 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 no, no. we're just saying all that we're you're being so hyperbolic all that we're saying is that an abstention is no longer a no vote well that the thing is that these retail stockholders have have known for years in their retail stockholdership that their abstention was a no vote and the thing is, going back to the pipes 
discussion is that it's hard for retail stockholders to vote and nobody who is like a rich fuck who has stock in their boop, 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 they can just vote like this, uh, believes that because they don't have, they don't hold stock on some stupid exchange called woo woo or moo moo or boo boo or some shit that some YouTube YouTube influencer sold them on downloading or whatever, which is a terrible idea. I'm not saying it's not, but it does, it happens to millions of people. So we have to deal with what we have, which is that people have stocks on all these stupid exchanges who have no practical method for them to vote in things or do, you know, the, 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 who even knows what these things are that people are saying they are buying stocks through, right? There's just, there's probably a ton of, I don't even know who's like overseeing this. I don't even, some probably of them like sound David so. David Sachs or like one right. of the all-in yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly. One of the all-in well, guys. One, no, one of them, like, so FTX actually issued AMC tokenized shares, which is like, the Ooh. the inception level fucking scam 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 it was like we went in the timeline of share issuance where the, did these come those were like just some fake fake thing oh. they were just like it, ftx was just like i don't know i mean i don't even know it's just ftx said buy some amc tokenized shares and ftx just invented a thing out of thin air we think i mean nobody knows really what happened oh, our boy our boy uh, <laughs> spf you know, he's our boy well i, I think just we'll leave it there um i i i i appreciate this conversation on both ends both the both the technical part of it and and how this works and and the details of this particular matter because i think if we're able to if we're able to articulate it properly, people will at least understand sort of what's happening. But from a from a higher sort of outlook, um, what this process really is, and 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 what it's trying to accomplish, who it's cutting out, which is basically everyone, um, and 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 applying that to like start to think about not just the corporate stuff, not just the franchise, but a lot of the stuff. This is sort of spoon-fed to a to a, a group of legislators that are part-time. They're just there to 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 go through the the motions of you know, the the institution. They're institutionalists. This is the way that it works. Is it the case that most state legislators are part-time? Oh, they're all here. part-time technically here. In every state though? Oh, no, no, no. 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 Because no. I'm like, is this like a thing everywhere? No. So our so our, our legislators are only in session uh, January through June. Because I feel like but this then is a thing always, that people then, don't know either about Delaware. Yeah, well that, yeah. And then they have a they have a bunch of breaks for like Joint Finance Committee budget. They're only in session like 40 days or something. 45 days. What was yeah. it, Carl? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it's something like that. It's right? something comical. Yeah, yeah. It's something. It's it's comically low where they have to be like in session. So. Uh, yeah, they're they're just part time, so it's just like yeah, you just go and you know you basically rubber stamp everything, or you know we we have arguments about um, pot legalization for ten years or forty we, days a year. But then you settle your differences around the Maypole. <laughs> you you about, dance around the Maypole. That's become the new state dance. Yeah, the new state. Forty dance. days a year, and then you have to like, then you just go back and do your own thing. Pretty much. For 325 days? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they like paint houses, uh, <laughs> pair of roofs, stuff like that. Yeah, because it's like, it's three days a week for, 
four, six, four, tw- like 20 weeks, but then three or four of those weeks, they're not in session for other things like right. joint finance committee and budget but so it's stuff. like half a year of like basically but... yeah so the, the the legislature is actually in session just january through june just half I a year see. but then they're only in dover three or four days a right. week and then some of those weeks are out of session for other other reasons wow. so yeah it's a it's half ass i mean we we get it, the system that's the other thing uh, from a from a high level view i hope people take away from this is is the system is built to 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 get to a certain end and unless unless you're brave enough to sort of raise your hand and be like well that doesn't make any sense uh or nobody why is that a secret like why are all cops uh you know personnel records a secret why does the corporate law council act in secret why do these lobbyists have an in all the time and get all the inside info well that's the way it's designed and I hope uh, I I hope that by sort of breaking down this issue, um, that people sort of see the the larger issue of of sort of the, the the systemic the systemic stuff that's baked in. I mean, this is why we're this is why we're we're battling. Which is why we're in the belly of the beast. We're behind enemy lines. This is why. In the bunker. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chance, thank you so much for coming. So nice to be I here. I just want to tell everybody that um, Chance is not your lawyer. <laughs> No. Not she might friend. be your friend. Be Actually, your she's, friend. she's our friend. Your, you're not, she's not your friend. friend. <laughs> the people listening to this, she's not your friend. She's our friend. But uh, yeah, thanks again. I, I I can't wait to have you back. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you for of everything course. that you're doing. It's great to meet Chance in person. Yeah. Uh, I think it goes without saying, everybody get out to vote on Tuesday for those AMC retail share uh, holders. We can really use, <laughs> really use a boost We're going right to canvas, yeah, canvas can- and phone can- bank can- this weekend if you've got some, got some hours to spend. <laughs> <laughs> they need our help. Uh, <laughs> Carl, I, I love everything you do. You're the best. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, fun stuff coming up. We're going to have a big announcement in the next couple of weeks about a, a big fundraiser that we're having this fall. So um, stick to that. Uh, stick with us. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I almost forgot. Left is best. <laughs>